You're listening to the N2K Space Network. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. It's a bit of a squash and a squeeze up in low Earth orbit right now. As you might have missed it, but Crew-7 headed up to the International Space Station over the weekend. That means right now there are 11 people on the ISS, with four new crew joining the crew already aboard Expedition 69. Nice. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS Today is August 28, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-Minus. NASA's SpaceX Crew-7 docked with the International Space Station. Japan delays the launch of its Prism and Slim lunar probes. And India sends back the first scientific data from its chased payload. And our guest today is Tim Gagnon, space artist and mission patch designer for NASA. Tim has an amazing story. You don't want to miss it. And now on to today's intelligence briefing. In the very early morning hours on Saturday, the SpaceX Crew-7 mission launched successfully from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida on a SpaceX Falcon 9 and headed to the International Space Station. The Dragon spacecraft atop the Falcon 9, named Endurance, docked with the International Space Station's Harmony module on Sunday, with the Crew-7 Crew-04 joining the Expedition 69 crew already aboard the ISS, bringing the total number of crew on the ISS up to a cozy 11 for the next few days. In a few more days, at the beginning of September, and yes, it's already almost September, Crew 6 will take a ride home on their own Dragon, the currently docked Endeavor, and splash down in the Atlantic Ocean. Crew 7 consists of NASA astronaut Jasmine Mogbelli, ESA astronaut Andreas Morganson, JAXA astronaut Satoshi Furukawa, and Roscosmos cosmonaut Konstantin Borisov. These four crew are the foundation for the upcoming Expedition 70 mission aboard the ISS in 2024. And a little bit of trivia for you about the Crew-7's ride to the ISS, the Dragon Capsule Endurance. It was thusly named in 2021, not only because of the famous ship used in the Shackleton voyage in the Trans-Antarctic Expedition, Google that one if you don't know it, but also because of the tenacity of the SpaceX and NASA teams who built the craft and trained the crew all during the COVID pandemic. And it's deja vu all over again. After two launch postponements, 
High winds in the upper atmosphere forced another scrub of the much-anticipated chrism and slim launch from Japan early Monday morning local time, just a half hour before the scheduled launch. The H-2A rocket was pushed back to the Vehicle Assembly Building at Tanegashima Space Center, and a new launch date hasn't been yet announced, but JAXA says the new launch window opens this Thursday, August 31st, and runs to September 15th. The high winds that necessitated the scrub, some were clocked at over 100 kilometers an hour, are being fueled by typhoons in the region. Feels like space launch in Japan just cannot catch a break lately. Let's hope they have better luck soon. India's Vikram lander has sent back scientific data from its CHAST, and that's CHA-S-T-E, payload. CHAST stands for Chandra's Surface Thermophysical Experiment and measures the temperature profile of the lunar topsoil around the southern pole. India's space research organization hopes to understand the thermal behavior of the moon's surface. CHAST has a temperature probe equipped with a controlled penetration mechanism capable of reaching a depth of 10 centimeters beneath the surface. The probe is fitted with 10 individual temperature sensors. ISRO has shared a graph that illustrates the temperature variations of the lunar surface and near surface at various depths, as recorded during the probe's penetration. This is the first such profile for the lunar south pole. Very cool. Voyager Space has been awarded a $900 million ceiling indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract, also known as IDIQ, by the U.S. Air Force Lifecycle Management Center's Architecture and Integration Directorate for yielding cost-effective warfighting capabilities. The award is through Valley Tech Systems Incorporated, which is part of Voyager Space's defense segment. Through the contract, Voyager's defense segment will contribute to a wide range of activities, including modeling, simulation and analysis, test engineering, standards and architecture development software development, and advanced synthetic-slash-virtual simulator environments development for operational test and training. Now, we did mention last week not to get fooled by the big numbers in these contracts, as last year, only 2.3% of the companies under IDIQ contracts received any money amounting to less than 1% of all contracts' value. So congratulations, Voyager, but we'll wait to see how much they actually receive. The Space Force and the Pentagon's Defense Innovation Unit, known as the DIU, is looking to speed up its response to space-based threats. They're looking for commercial solutions to prototype and operationally demonstrate on-orbit tactically responsive space, known as TACRS systems. The DIU is looking for a demonstration that includes end-to-end capability to rapidly launch within 24 hours of notice, match orbital plane, conduct rendezvous and proximity operations, and inspect and characterize a simulated threat on an operationally relevant timeline. This prototype will culminate with a TAC-RS operational demonstration called Victus Haze. The proposal request is being managed by Space Systems Command's Space Safari Program Office, which was established to directly respond to urgent launch needs of the U.S. Space Command and other combatant commands. If you're interested, we've included the DIU solicitation in our show notes. French space mobility company ExoTrail has signed a contract with Muon Space to supply electric propulsion systems for the next phase of U.S.-based Muon Space's climate monitoring constellation. The five vehicles are part of the next phase of Muon Space's climate constellation, which will use a new generation of sensors to monitor Earth's climate and ecosystems. 
Astronis has signed a contract with an undisclosed partner of the national security space community to demonstrate secure end-to-end communications using the Arcturus satellite. As part of the contract, Astronis will use the Arcturus satellite to demonstrate secure uplink and downlink from San Francisco to Alaska and back. Astronis says this demo shows the growing agility to rapidly address national security needs with Astronis's MicroGeo, and the company hopes it will lead to the procurement of multiple dedicated satellite assets in the future. Space technology company Scout has acquired FreeSpace Incorporated to strengthen Scout's defense and technical capabilities. Scout says it hopes the move will help broaden the inroads the company has built with the U.S. Department of Defense, intelligence community, and civil government. Terms of the deal have not been disclosed. Virgin Galactic has announced that the flight window for their next commercial space flight will open next Friday, September 8th, which supports earlier announcements that the space tourism company will be holding flights on a monthly basis. Meanwhile, their home launch facility, Spaceport America, has released an economic impact report for 2022, and the report shows that the New Mexico-owned launch facility supports 548 direct jobs and contributes $138 million U.S. million to economic output, $60 million to value-added production, and $46 million in labor income to New Mexico's economy. Those numbers will likely rise in 2023 with Virgin Galactic's increase in activity, along with other Spaceport America tenants and customers. And you know, we've spoken a lot about how much the space industry has exploded this year. Maybe not the best choice of words, but you know what we mean. And this new stat had us all whooping here at T-minus. The SpaceX Starlink Group 611 launch on August 26th marked the milestone 100th FAA licensed space operation so far in fiscal year 2023, with more to be added before the year ends on September 30th. For comparison, there were 74 FAA licensed commercial space operations in all of financial year 2022. So we're all anxious to see if SpaceX makes its milestone of 100 launches in 2023. Just four months to go, guys. And that concludes today's Intel Briefing. As always, you'll find further reading on all the stories we've mentioned in our show notes. You know, on Friday's show, we mentioned that the Viasat 3 America satellite had encountered a power subsystem anomaly, and it seemed that the knock-on effect is being felt in the insurance industry. We've included a report from Bloomberg in our show notes about how space insurers are preparing for market-rattling claims. And we've also shared a story on the rocket woman behind Chandrayaan-3's historic lunar landing, Dr. Ritu Karidal Srivastava. They're all at space.n2k.com. Hey, T-Minus crew. Did you know that every Monday we produce a written intelligence roundup? It's called Signals and Space. So if you happen to miss any T-Minus episodes, no judgment if you do, this strategic intelligence product will get you up to speed in the fastest way possible. It's all signal, no noise. You can sign up for Signals and Space in our show notes or at space.n2k.com. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. 
Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru, be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com/cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com/cyberwire. Our guest today is Tim Gagnon. He's a space artist and a mission patch designer for NASA. I started off by asking Tim how he first got involved in designing patches for spaceflight missions. I kept writing to astronauts throughout the shuttle program, and they were always always very kind and gracious. And in spring of uh, 2004, John Phillips, who was the flight engineer for Expedition 11, his mission commander was Sergei Krikalov, and he wrote back saying, "Yeah, sure, we'd like to uh, see what you can do." And they outlined some of their mission objectives. It was originally supposed to be a uh, a three-person increment. Sergei Volkov was going to launch on the shuttle and join them uh, on orbit. And so they were going to have Sergei Krikalov and John Phillips were going to launch from Russia or Baikonur and Sergei Volkov was going to launch from Florida and they were going to meet up. So a few of the sketches kind of included that element and there was one uh, that had some serious consideration that they wanted me to change the placement of names and so forth. But uh they came back with another thought uh that Sergei Krikalov had been a member of Expedition 1 and that crew had requested the radio call sign Alpha for the space station because it was the first international space station and he wanted to try to hide a a uh, stylized uh greek letter alpha in the design so if you follow the the launch boom up to the first one and that's in the russian flag that's an alpha letter and then the other uh number 1 that forms overall number 11 shows a different launch site which was the original intent that was the the design that was chosen i finished my work probably around september of that year and i sent it off to john and and uh he sent me an email probably early december with the finished artwork and it had changed because Sergei Volkov was already not going to fly that increment he ended up flying a later increment but the sun on that patch is where his name would have been and he was the son of Alexander Volkov another russian cosmonaut And so he says the sun on that patch represents him as the son of a cosmonaut. There's a lot. I mean, <laughs> I've been looking at this design. I would never have caught half of that. And I feel ashamed. I just got back from Greece and I didn't even recognize the alpha. As soon as you said I'm like, "Yes, it is an alpha. How did I not catch that?" <laughs> well, we had to make it very stylized 
because it was somewhat controversial when Expedition 1 asked for the call sign. NASA didn't want to have names on things. You know, they were still leery of that because both Russia and the United States had flown space stations prior to this. And so the crew was pretty brave to request that call sign. They didn't want an international incident about somebody being offended at, well, this ain't the first space station, you know. And they got away with it for STS-1, but you notice nobody calls the ISS Alpha anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a bit of interesting trivia there. I'm fascinated by the process of making something as information-dense as a patch is, and you've done so, so many. So how do you even begin to distill the information that needs to be there with just aesthetics of making sure that, you know, it looks good. What's your process for that? The process for me is to start out by researching what is what is the mission goals for this one? You know, like on a shuttle mission, are they carrying up a specific piece of hardware? What is unique about that expedition that is different from any other expedition prior to it? Every crew still wants something unique. And uh, so the the challenge is, is still there for any artist that gets the opportunity. But I usually study the, the mission objectives and how can that best be represented. And I try to put, how would I want to, if I was in orbit and seeing this mission from a, you know, an outside perspective, what would I want to see that would make that mission understandable? And so I try to place my imagination in orbit, seeing, you know, that mission happening. And, uh, and then I, you know, I, I make up a, a, some sketches and I still start out with pen and ink. Uh, and uh, now I just, you know, scan it and email it to a client or I'll do a rough rendering on, on the computer. And then they come back with, you know, we like this, we don't like that, let's change this to that. And, and it's a process. No patch has one parent. You know, as, as, as much as I appreciate the, the reputation I've built as somebody easy to work with and, uh, and very fortunate numerous times, I'm not the, the only person involved. You know, there are multiple people, you know, the entire crew is involved. And I uh, can't forget uh, Jorge Kartz, my, uh, my brother from another mother, uh, who has joined me on this uh, experience. I'm sure many artists come up to you and ask, how do I figure out where I fit in? You know, I have a space interest, but I don't know what niche to sort of find myself in. What advice do you give? I, I give them the same advice I was given. And at the time I was given it, I didn't appreciate it. Because I started writing The Astronauts in 1973, I finally succeeded 31 years later. Now, that was really my own fault. I put the obstacles in my own way because I didn't, I quit college when I uh, fell in love. We've been married for 45 years now, so that worked out really well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I didn't get an art degree. I didn't, I didn't learn everything I could have about art and the process of it. And, and that's, that's on me. So I, I wrote uh, to Robert McCall in 1982 mm. because I was still getting a lot of things like we'd already chosen an artist to do our patch and his name is Robert McCall. 
So I finally went to the guy and I, you know, I wanted to say, how are you getting all these jobs? And, and uh, he probably said, well, I'm Robert McCall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He could have. Yeah. But, yeah. but what he did say, and I've got his letter still on my uh, wall right here. He really? said, dear Timothy, to achieve success, evaluate your ta- talents honestly, set your goals realistically, work tirelessly at your art, and love every minute of the work. Study the great art of the past. Come back from inevitable failures with courage and work relentlessly. And he wished me well. And he he drew a very cool sketch on the envelope that he mailed it to me. I mean, so this was 1982. Something like that wouldn't get through the mail today because somebody would have deviated it from its destination. So I have have an original McCall on my wall. and. And, you know, honestly, when I got that letter, I, you know, I had hoped to get, here's this guy's name in Houston. Here's his number. Tell him I told you to call. None of that, you know. And he knew from his own experience that this was a journey that I had to take. And mm-hmm. and what I tell people is the same thing. Be relentless. You know, keep sharing, keep working at your art. And I tell, especially if I'm talking to uh, the students, Artists, if you're if they're anything like me, and and you know, artists generally are, they're their own worst critic. Amen to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you know, this is done, and of course, their mom or their wife or their, you know, someone who loves them say, Oh, that's very nice. And the artist is thinking, this sucks. <laughs> and and so <laughs> I show them, I show them this is what I presented in 1973. I'm better at it now because I worked at it all this time. So keep working at it and don't let anybody ever tell you no. The world will tell you no all the time. You don't listen to them. You keep at it because sooner or later, you're going to be in the right place at the right time with the right resume and you're going to get that project and you're going to want to shout it from the rooftops and if it's a NASA mission, you can't talk about it until NASA unveils it months later. That's the hardest part. <laughs> that, that is very familiar to me. And I, I yes, um, not for NASA, but uh, but yes, for <laughs> client work, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I finished my involvement with Expedition 11 in September of 2004. They didn't unveil it at a press conference until February of 2005. Oh, agonizing. I couldn't I couldn't say a word because if I had, they could have simply said, nope, this ain't our patch anymore. And something else would have been created and somebody some other artist would have a cool story to tell. What I love about your story, in addition to everything I've fangirled about already, is that you didn't give up. (laughs) Sorry sorry for fangirling, I'm just admitting it. Now there were I mean there were some pretty frustrating times when I kept getting the rejection letters and, and you know I get that. Why can't they see how enthusiastic and passionate I am, you know? But the work had to match my enthusiasm and my passion. We'll be right back.
with over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Welcome back. It's come to our attention that NASA has decided to cut funding for New Horizons and cease its Kuiper Belt exploration starting in October of next year, and that some in the space community, myself included, are not happy about this. The National Space Society, the Space Frontier Foundation, and the Beyond Earth Institute are supporting a petition to save the mission, and it needs your support by the end of this month. The Kuiper Belt is known as the Gateway to the Galaxy, and Isaac Arthur, Bill Nye, and Alan Stern are amongst a large group of leading scientists that are against NASA's cuts to the program and who believe that there are important scientific investigations that need be completed. And our T-minus producer, Alice Carruth, is a huge fan of Pluto, which is still considered a planet in her home state of New Mexico. Didn't even know states could do that, but they can. If, to you, like me, the potential of Kuiper Belt exploration is too good to pass up, and if the gorgeous close-up images of Pluto that New Horizon took in 2015 captured your heart—see what we did there—whatever you feel about the efficacy of online petitions, you should sign on to this one. We've included a link to the petition in the show notes, and the petition also includes an excellent explainer by Isaac Arthur on the importance of this region and the benefits of continuing this study. Please sign it and share it with your community. That's it for T-minus for August 28th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies, N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at N2K.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.